0: your bulletin insert or turn in your Bible with me to uh, Proverbs the 29th chapter where we'll be just looking at three verses today. We will use these as a unison reading and if you looked at the sermon title and thought well discipline and delight with your children, well that doesn't apply to me. My children are grown. Well you'll find out in this sermon that it still does apply to you Uh, or you may be thinking well I don't have any children. Uh, Well, you may have nieces or nephews, or in the future you may have children. And even grandparents, I think, it's important for us to uh, keep uh, the calls of discipline before us. So I think that this passage will speak uh, to more of us than maybe we think on the surface. So let's read the Word of God together, beginning at verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. I knew that sometime this fall I wanted to preach on... This particular topic, because I think that our society today really has a lot of bad things to say about discipline. You know, no one likes to use that word anymore, and yet Scripture has a lot of good things to say about discipline, as we just read. And I knew that the timing was very good when I looked in Tuesday's Charlotte Observer in the Carolina Living section and child psychologist uh, John Roseman's parenting article this week carried this title, Discipline Problems? Look in the Mirror. And I thought, well, that's pretty good timing. He began his article with these words. Most parents describe discipline problems as if they are coming out of their kids, that the problems in question reveal facets of their kids' personalities, things like strong-willed. The fact is that in nearly every instance, discipline problems with a child tell more about the parents than they do about the child. Then he goes on to give some examples of what he's talking about. A parent complains that my child won't do what he's told. Roseman says that children will do what they're told most of the time, but today's parents don't tell. Instead, he says, they plead, bargain, bribe, reason, explain, encourage, suggest, and promise. And when none of that works, he says, they threaten. And when that doesn't work, they scream, and then it kind of starts all over again. He concludes his article by saying, the long and short of it is, your child is a mirror. Look carefully at the image reflected therein. Now, you may or may not like John Roseman and the things that he has to say, but I happen to to agree with him because in his advice, he typically gives ideas and principles we can find in Scripture and simply states them in different language. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, we believe, gives much of the foundation of what Roseman has to say. Solomon gives that to us in his book of the Proverbs that he collected. And we read just three verses this morning, but there are many more scattered throughout this book of 31 chapters having to do with the importance of discipline in the home, some of which we'll mention. But just think about the first verse that we read. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. This proverb is... Pretty clear as most are. If there is discipline in the home specified here as the rod and reproof, then there will be wisdom in the children. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Without discipline there is shame because the child has no direction. This is why Roseman says, Discipline problems with a child tell more about the parents than they do the children. And before we go any further, please don't hear that verse 15 teaching that only the mother is responsible for discipline. Yes, the mother is mentioned in this verse, but the father is mentioned in many other verses having to do with discipline in this book of Proverbs, such as 13.24, which says, "...he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him." Now, obviously, the he in that verse is the father. And so the task of discipline in the home belongs equally to both parents, mother and father, and I would say by extension to grandparents as well because we have to remember that in ancient times, several generations may have been living together in the same home. But why can Solomon make such a statement? Why is discipline so important for parents to practice Or even grandparents? Well, we could say so that their children will have wisdom. I mean, duh, that's what the text teaches. And that's a good answer. But there's another answer even more important than that. And that answer is that parents and grandparents are to practice discipline because that makes us more like God. If our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then part of that glorifying God is to become more like Him through the power of His Holy Spirit at work in our lives and through the teaching, through His written will that He gives us in His Holy Word. Solomon tells us early in his book not to despise God's discipline. Do you remember why? It's in Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. He says, Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves Him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. And in case we miss that, in Proverbs 3, the writer of the book of Hebrews also gives us the same exact quotation in Hebrews chapter 12. The point is that God disciplines us in His wisdom and His mercy as they are at work in our lives day in and day out. This is why we also discipline our children. It shows our love for them and our attempts to be more like God just as His discipline shows His love for us. So this is a sort of of a foundational principle, if you will, that underlies all of these verses scattered throughout the book of Proverbs having to do with parents disciplining their children. When we fail to do that or when we choose not to for whatever reason, we're not following God's example. And if we're not following God's example, then what are we doing? We're, we're going the way of the world because we're not yielding to the model that God has set for us. And of course the way of the world according to the book of Proverbs is the way of folly. It's the way of foolishness, not the path of wisdom. But here in our text in chapter 29, Solomon's more concerned about another aspect of the lack of discipline and that is the effect it has upon the children and the parents. Going back to this 15th verse, we see that while the rod and reproof give wisdom, meaning to the child, a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And we all know what that shame looks like. It's the the blushed face of embarrassment. We've seen it in our own faces, those of us who have children. We've seen it in the faces of other parents. And it's also that incredulous statement that we sometimes hear parents make. I can't believe that my child just did that. Now, because I'm married to a kindergarten teacher, I hear a lot of these kinds of stories. At Sarah's parents' night at school about a month or so ago... One of the little boys in her class pitched a royal fit right there in front of the whole classroom of children and parents that were gathered. And and that mother of that child was petrified. And after it was all over and most everyone had left, that mother came up to Sarah and privately asked, Does he ever do that during the school day? And she said, Yes, he does. And, of course, he was one of the children on opening day, the first day of school, for whom it was apparent he did not know what the word no meant. Now, there are a lot of teachers in here today of small children. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> that, that today's children seem to not know what the word no means. And it's such a small little word, you know, just two letters, that every child ought to know what the word means. No means. But again, according to Proverbs, that ignorance goes back to the parent who leaves a child by himself. That's the way the proverb words it. And and that phrase, leaving a child by himself, has the meaning behind it of an animal left to graze without any supervision whatsoever. Now, if you know anything about sheep at all, you know that they can get into a lot of trouble If they're left on their own, children are the same way, even you and me as adults. That's why Isaiah 53 teaches us that all we like sheep have what? We've gone astray. We've put ourselves in trouble. We've put ourselves in a situation that's not good for us. That's why Psalm 23, David, who had a lot of time to watch sheep all day long, says, the Lord is my shepherd and the Lord is the one who takes us to the still water. The Lord is the one who finds the green pastures for us, the things that are good for us and not harmful in our lives. You see, as we teach the Word of God and put it into practice in our children's lives or in our grandchildren's lives, both by what we do as well as what we say, and help them develop a love for God's Word even at an early age by reading it to them and making sure they hear those wonderful stories of God's love for us, then wisdom is being developed. And the wisdom God offers to our children is the same wisdom to some extent that He used to transform chaos into this wonderful creation, this wonderful world that we enjoy around us. In the same way, Proverbs shows us that God can take our children with their own chaotic ways and transform them through His wisdom, into something beautiful, just like the world around us. But notice that it takes the rod and it takes reproof. And I've had people ask me before, does that rod in Proverbs, does that mean spanking? Does that mean corporal punishment? Well, it does in certain situations And with certain children, listen to Proverbs 23, 13, which says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. You see, they were politically correct people even in Solomon's day and time. You know, saying the kinds of things that we hear in our world today. You know, you shouldn't spank children. It causes them deep psychological harm. Solomon's almost turning this into a joke. You know, if you spank a child, it's not going to kill him. It really isn't. I believe corporal punishment is scriptural, but I also know that it doesn't work with every child. It worked excellently with one of our children and did not with the other. And I'll leave it to you to figure out which of those two. It's our job as the parent to figure out what form of discipline works best with which child. But obviously it will work much better when you start day one and are consistent with it. Whether it's corporal punishment or whether it's time out or whether it's a loss of privileges or whatever kind of discipline it needs to be. The word "no" is one of the first words a child should understand because it's so important for their physical safety. I mean, if that little one doesn't know what the word no means and starts to put his hand on the hot stove, and you say no, what's going to happen? Great physical harm. But just in that picture, you can see that the same way a child without wisdom can have that great spiritual harm come upon them as well. Now, as we come to verse 16 in this text, it looks like this verse on the surface has nothing to do whatsoever with these parental verses with which it's between. But look at the first half of the verse. When the wicked increase, transgression increases. It's a verse about corporate character. It could be a verse. It doesn't have to be. But it it could be a verse about a household. If the wicked increase, that is to say, those who are not doing God's will in your home, those not abiding by His teaching, then transgression increases. We can make the point that in any group, whether it's a family or a church or a government or or whatever, the climate comes from the top. And so parents, what climate are we forming in our homes For our children, grandparents, what climate are we forming for our grandchildren in our homes? Does sin increase because of what we do and the decisions we make and or the discipline we fail to enforce? The whole tenor of Scripture tells us the ultimate end of the wicked. They will not last. We're told over and over they fade like the grass. They shall be cut off. They will perish. If you want a particular passage about the wicked, look at Psalm 37, which is one of the so-called wisdom psalms. And it has much to say about the wicked just as our verse here reminds us of their downfall. Parents, the same thing happens to our children when they're not given wisdom through consistent discipline all of their lives. Now we'll move on to verse 17 where we see the positive side of what wisdom accomplishes in our children. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. And so we see the positive aspect here. If a son left to himself brings shame, the son who receives discipline gives rest and delight. In other words, what is given is returned. And this means that in these disciplinary proverbs that we see all throughout the book of Proverbs, we have a glimpse, I believe, of the spiritual principle which has to do with reaping what you sow. You know, the Bible tells us that over and over again we reap what we sow. So typically, if you sow wisdom, you will get the benefits of wisdom in return. This is why 22.6 teaches that if you train up a child in the way in he should go, when he's old, he'll not, he'll not depart from it. That's not a promise in Scripture. It's a proverb. It's saying typically this is what happens. We've all known people, families, who uh, nurtured their children in the right way and, and some were fine and did wonderful things, and others were a great shame to their family. This is not a promise in Scripture, but it is a proverb typically. You train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. Some families gave the proper nurture to their children when they were young, and and they did terrible things in life. And then later in life, they came back to God, like St. Augustine. You know, he was a a real rabble-rouser in his earlier days and his mother continued to pray for him and pray for him and and he was converted and became uh, the greatest theologian the early church knew. Now knowing that everything given in Scripture is for our instruction, that's what the Bible teaches us, we should remember those parents in the Bible who were poor at disciplining their children and the severe trouble that came upon them because of it, and we should learn from their example. Think about King David. The Bible teaches us he was a, a man after God's own heart, but we can also see all through the book of Second Samuel that David was a terrible father and disciplinarian. And we read through that book of 2 Samuel all of the terrible things that happened to him and his family and even Israel because he didn't discipline his own children. I think that's one reason Solomon writes and gives us so many of these parenting proverbs because he lived all of that firsthand. He experienced it. He knows what happens when that doesn't take place In the home. Or think about Eli's story that we find in 1 Samuel 3. You may remember Eli was the priest in the land of Israel in the time when Samuel was born. And I believe it was Samuel's first message from God was to tell Eli, God said, Tell Eli that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Now that's what Samuel had to tell Eli. God's about to punish your house forever because your sons were blaspheming God and you did nothing about it. Now I know that for most of this sermon... I've been talking to those of us with children or grandchildren who are not yet grown. But with this story, we can see the truth that, biblically speaking, parenting and its disciplinary role never end. Because Eli's sons were grown men and already priests when they were showing contempt for the offerings that God's people were bringing and sacrificing to him, and Eli did nothing. And so do you see what that means? That means that if you have a grown son or daughter and they're going against God's will, then you need to call them on it. You know, you don't need to badger them every week about it, but you need to make sure that you know they're doing wrong and that you call them on it. Your responsibility as a parent has not ended just because they are adults. Finally, as we bring this sermon to a close, we have to make the connection that this picture of the untrained or undisciplined child that we see all throughout the book of Proverbs who needs wisdom, who needs God's wisdom at work in their lives is consistent with the New Testament vision of God's people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. They're without God in a fallen world and in need of redemption. You see, God's desire for our children but also for us is that we discover and strive after His will by surrendering ourselves to Him and to His claims upon our lives. Like sheep, we have gone astray. But He calls us back to Himself. And like the father in the story of the prodigal son, He comes running out to us and welcomes us back with open arms and wants to throw a party because we've returned to Him when we turn to His Son Jesus for forgiveness. It's interesting that we're taught here that if we discipline our children, they will give us rest. You know, that's the same gift that Jesus promises Come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. We could look at that as discipline. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. May God give us that rest as we seek to be faithful to our children and our grandchildren to His honor and glory in the days to come. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.